about to start a new year with 365 days in front of us. 365 new days to wake up, to rejoice in, to live out for the glory of God and the joy of all people. We don't know what the year will hold, but we have a a fresh new year in front of us. And this morning, I want you to think for a moment on the possibility that one of those days could be the day of the Lord. Might might be January 1st. Maybe, Maybe it's just a few days away. Maybe it's December 31st next year. Maybe it's July 22nd, which is my birthday. Uh, Who who knows which day, but but it could be any one of those days. The the day of the Lord could be in 2019. It's a real day. We don't know when it will be, but it's it's coming. The day of the Lord is the day of Christ's return. It's it's the day that Jesus will come back. It's the day we just sang about, the, the day that the great I Am comes and He makes all things new, the day He establishes His kingdom in the earth, the day He judges the world in righteousness, the, that, that day could come this year. Now, scripture teaches a lot about the day of the Lord, but throughout church history we've tended to come to the day of the Lord and come to the scriptures and, and we ask the wrong questions. And it's not a new problem, it's an old problem. We, we, we come and we, we ask questions about when and what's the sequence of events and, and how will I know what's going to happen. We, those are the questions we come, and, and those aren't the questions that Scripture is seeking to answer for us. The Scripture says a lot about the day of the Lord. It says a lot about eschatology, but not, not for the purpose of, of giving us information just to have. This isn't new to our day. The Thessalonians were asking Paul some wrong questions about the day of the Lord. They were confused, they were anxious, and they, when Timothy came back to Paul with a report, he brought some questions, and they were asking Paul some questions that, that Scripture really doesn't answer. And in our passage today, Paul, Paul responds to their questions by reminding them of what they really need to know. He reminds them what they really need to know about the day of the Lord. And so if you would turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We are going through a series in 1 and 2 Thessalonians called Until He Comes. And and the passage today, in, in some ways, uh, as I've studied it, has just it just seems like it's it's the uh, the center of the whole book. It it, it just it brings in all these themes we've been talking about, about spreading the gospel, about living holy lives, about looking for the day of the Lord, about encouraging each other more and more, brings these all in. And, and in this passage today, we have this, this strong reminder from Paul about what we really need to know as we think about the day of the Lord. And so let's read this together, and then we will see these reminders this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. 
So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So Paul gives them three reminders about the day of the Lord, three things that they really need to know about this day. And, and the, first, the first thing he tells them in verses 1 through 3 is he, he just reminds them about the reality of this day. He reminds them about the reality of the day of the Lord. Look down at verse 1. We, we see in verse 1, the Thessalonians, he says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. So, so what's going on? The Thessalonians have, have come to Paul, and they essentially seem to be asking Paul, when is the day of the Lord going to be? When is it? What's going to happen first? What's going to happen next? What's the sequence of events going to be? When is it? And Paul responds by saying, you don't really need to know that. I don't need to write anything more to you than what I've already written to you. You already know all that you need to know. He says, you have no need to have anything written to you. Look in verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So they write and they say, we want to know when. We want to know what's going to happen next. Tell us about the timing of the day of the Lord. And Paul says, you already know all that you need to know. I don't need to write anything new to you. You already know that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. Now, he uses this illustration of a thief in the night, and then he couples it with another illustration, and, and this will help us see what Paul really wants them to focus on. So, so let me just ask this question. How many of you have ever, has anyone here ever had your house broken into? Yeah, so let me ask you, Laura and Chris, did, did you guys get a postcard in the mail like the week before? Saying, like, dear Chris and Laura, we, we really like your stuff. We're going to come next week at this, this day, this time. Please unlock the door. Please get, just get it all in a cart for us. We, we'd really appreciate that. No, no. It was a little surprising, wasn't it? Unexpected, wasn't it? Thieves don't tell us when they're coming. Thieves come unannounced, unexpected, suddenly. And Paul says that's what the day of the Lord is going to be like. He says it's going to be as unexpected as a thief. As, as surprising as someone breaking into your house and, and, and stealing from you. You're not, you're not expecting it. And, and then he couples it with this illustration. Look in verse 3. He says, Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, now this illustration is very different, because while a thief is unexpected, labor pains are pretty expected at some point when you're pregnant. You... you uh, the reason that they say you're expecting, right? Because you are getting bigger and bigger, and you're like, hey, this baby's coming, right? But, but Paul's point here is not that they're unexpected. It's that they're inescapable. Once those labor pains start, there is no going back. That baby is coming, whether you like it or not, whether you're ready or not, that baby is coming. And he says, that's what it's going to be like. The labor pains are going to come. There's no escaping it. There, there, there's no getting out of it. So we have these two images of a thief in the night and a woman going into labor, and, and, and what they show us is that the day of the Lord, though we don't know when, it's going to come unexpectedly and inescapably. 
unexpectedly and inescapably. Those are the pictures he gives. Look in verse 3 again at what's actually going to happen. He says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. That's not a picture. That's just, that's just Paul telling us what's going to happen. While the people in the world are saying to themselves, we have peace, we have security, everything's good, everything's okay, in a moment like that, out of nowhere, sudden destruction. That, that, that phrase, sudden destruction, is an image to show what the wrath of God will do to the lives that people build on this earth. Just like Jesus taught about the house that is built on the sand and the rains come and and there's a great fall. That's what's going to happen. There will be a great fall of all that people have built in their lives on the day of the Lord. It will all be totally swept away. It will all be totally destroyed. There will be nothing left, nothing to show for it. It will come without warning and it will come with no way out. This is the image he gives us. Do you, do you see this morning the vivid image Paul's painting here? Think about your neighborhoods. Think about your workplaces. Think about your community. Today they may be saying there's peace and security. It, all, all may seem well with their world. But in a moment, they will be seeking a way out. In a moment, sudden destruction will come. This is the reality of the day of the Lord. And while the Thessalonians are, are writing to Paul and they're asking, when is it going to be? What's going to happen next? Paul, Paul is redirecting their focus to say, don't, don't worry about when, because at, when you do that, you're forgetting what's actually going to happen on that day. Don't we do that? We, we, we make these charts and we, and we write out these sequences and we're forgetting what's really going to happen when that day comes. A world of people will be looking for a way out. A world of people will be facing destruction. That's where Paul wants them to focus. Let, let the reality of that day sink in. And, and just an implication of that for us as we, as we think about the day of the Lord, as we think about mission, as we think about, about these things. We, we, why does Paul paint this picture for them? Why, why does he want them to why does he want them to reflect on what's going to happen on that day in the world? It's because eschatology is for evangelism. That's one purpose of eschatology. And one of my hopes in this sermon is to help us see all the good reasons God gives us eschatology, all the good reasons that God gives us teaching on what's going to come. It's not so we can just know. It's so we can live the right way. It's so we can think the right way. It's so we can act the right way. And one reason that God tells us these things is to fuel our evangelism. Love would see that this is coming. And love would recognize that it's coming without warning, but we have the ability to give warning. It's coming with no escape, but right now there is a day of escape. 
Right now, there is a way to not face that. And so, so Paul paints this vivid picture for them of the reality of the day. And, he, and it's like he's calling them, don't worry about times and seasons. Don't worry about sequences and dates. Think about what's actually going to happen and let it compel you in your life. Let it compel you toward those people that are around you that, that are facing this. And so this, this is his first reminder. As we think about the day of the Lord, as we think about the return of Christ, it gives us a framework to remember what's really going to come, what's really going to happen. This day is coming. It will be an indescribably terrible day for all who don't know Christ. And we who know him, we who have found the way, it compels us as we think about it to, to, to move toward them. It compels us that way. And, and so th- this is the, the, the first reminder he gives them. He says, don't think about when, think about just the fact that it's coming. It's really coming, suddenly, unexpectedly, inescapably, but today, today you can go and preach the good news to them, and they can be saved. And so, he goes from the reality of the day of the Lord then to our readiness for the day of the Lord, our readiness for the day. Look down at verse 4 with me. He says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So, so this is important because we just said that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to come like labor pains. But then we need to hear him say immediately, but you, brothers, you have been adopted into God's family. It's not going to be like that for you. It's not going to come like a thief in the night for you because you know, you know it's coming. It's like you got the postcard and, and you were ready. Right? He's, he's, he says that, that it will be unexpected, but you're ready for it. You're looking for it. You're waiting for it. And, and, and why are they ready? He says, because you're not in darkness. In verse 5, he says, you are children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So he, he brings in these pictures of darkness and light, nighttime and day. And what he's doing there is he, he's, he's contrasting the, the age of darkness that, that the world is in and the age of light that is coming with Christ's kingdom. The, the, the scripture constantly uses light and darkness to, to contrast the, the age of this world, the passing age, the age of sin and death and Satan's rule, to, with the coming age of light and glory and revelation. And, and Paul says, even though this age is still existing, even though darkness is still here, you are already children of light. You're, you're already part of the day. See, see what, what has happened to us is that Jesus has come. And the kingdom of God has broken in to this age. And now the ages are overlapping. We're still in this world. We're still in this darkness. But we have been given light in Christ. We know what is to come. We know where we are. We know we, we can see now. And he says, because you can see, because you've been given light, you, you don't need to be surprised. Instead, instead, you can be ready. You can be ready for that day. L- look down. At verse 6, he says, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so, so because you are children of the day, live like it's daytime. That's what he says to them. Live like it's daytime. Others sleep. Others Get drunk, but, but you, stay awake and be sober. This idea of, of, of sleepy, drunken lives in the darkness, it, 
That, that's a picture of the world. The world is asleep. The world doesn't know that anything's coming. The world, the world doesn't give any thought to, to what might be ahead. And the world is, is living, not, not necessarily in literal drunkenness, but, but it's a picture of self-indulgence. It's a picture of just letting their appetites control them, letting their desires control them. And he says, don't live like that. Live alert. Live awake. Be sober-minded. I don't know if uh, any of you have taken driver's ed and had to put on uh, what are called drunk goggles. Has anyone ever done that here? So I, I had to do this when I was in driver's ed when I was 16, and and. Me and my friend were in the class together. We put on our drunk goggles and I had to try to play catch with each other with these drunk goggles on. And, and we could not catch the ball. We could not throw and catch the ball because we were so disoriented by, by these goggles. And, and that's, that's the picture of drunkenness and soberness he's, he's given here. Is, is it's not necessarily literal drunkenness. It's, it's a disorientation. You're not able to see reality rightly. And the world in darkness is completely disoriented. But we're children of light, so we should not live disoriented. We should live sober-minded, understanding the reality we just talked about, letting that reality penetrate into our lives so that we live differently. And if we're children of light, then what does it mean to live as light? It means to live in a way that portrays that kingdom of God that's coming to the world. It's, it's, it's to walk out what we've been looking at in Thessalonians. Holiness, purity, love, integrity, faithfulness, hope. It's to walk those things out in the world. As we, as we wake up and stay sober-minded about where we are and what is coming, we live like it's daytime, and, and, and we do that in the midst of the darkness. We do that in the darkness, and so, so the people that live in darkness see light through our lives. They see that light. And so this, this brings to the, just the second implication of these, of these reminders is, is again, what, what is eschatology for? Why, why does God teach us these things? Why is God reminding us of these things? It, it's, it's for ethical Christian living. It's, it's, for, it's for godliness. It's for holiness. Eschatology should drive us to holiness. Eschatology should drive us to be lights in this world. It should drive us to sober-minded purity. Because we know that this new age is coming, and we know what is real and what is false, and we can live it out among the darkness. And, and so, just to review, we, we see Paul just press in on them the reality of that day. This day is coming. This day is real. This day will be terrible for all in the world who don't know Christ. But you're not going to be surprised by that day. You you know it's coming. So live sober-mindedly, live awake, live alert. And and we just ask, what does that look like? I mean, does that just mean we stay awake and we twiddle our thumbs and we wait for Christ's return? No, look look what he says. He says, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Why do you wear armor when you're at war, right? And so this sober-mindedness, this this alertness, the purpose of it is because we are part of a war. The kingdom of God is is advancing against the kingdom of darkness through our lives. And we need to be awake and sober-minded and alert so that we can live and fight and do battle in a, in a way that will 
show those in darkness that this kingdom is coming, that this kingdom is real, that this day will arrive. We're children of light living in the darkness. And as, as Tim and Cindy, as you said earlier, we want that light to shine bright. We want it to shine strongly into the darkness. And, and that can only happen through sober-mindedness, remembering that this day is coming, living like that day is coming, living like it's daytime right now. Finally, in verses 9 through 11, you know, you know at the end of verse 8, Paul, Paul uses this metaphor again, the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And I think Paul does this sometimes as he writes. He, he just goes on rabbit trails as he, as he writes, a, writes a phrase, and he's, oh, that makes, that makes me think of this. And that's what happens here with the, the hope of salvation. He says, what is our hope? What is our hope? And so he tells us in verses 9 through 11, he, he reminds us what our hope is. He reminds us of the rescue that will come on the day of the Lord. The rescue that will come. Let's read 9 and 11, 9 through 11 together again. He says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So this is this is our rescue on the day of the Lord. And I want I want you to see something. If you would turn back in your Bible to the book of Amos. Book of Amos, chapter 5. Got Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. And in Amos chapter 5, God is prophesying to Israel about the day of the Lord and about the judgment that is coming. In Amos 5, verse 18, he says this, Amos 5, 18, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? So, so, so God is writing to his people Israel who, who are desiring this day and he's saying, don't desire that day. That's a day of judgment. That is a day of wrath. That is a day of darkness. And, and you are in sin and you need to repent. That, that's the day of the Lord. It's a day of judgment on sinners. And yet here in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as Paul talks about the day of the Lord, he says to us, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation. So, so as Paul reminds the believers about the day of the Lord, he says this, it's going to be a terrible event for all sinners in the world. They, they, they will have sudden destruction come upon their lives, but you know it's coming and you have hope because God has not destined you for wrath. It is a day of wrath, but you will not experience wrath on that day. You will not experience it. You, you will not pay the penalty for your sins. You will not suffer the destruct, destruction that is due you for the way you lived your life. And, and why is that? Because God has destined us for something else. By God's grace, He has looked at your life and He has chosen for you not to experience His wrath, even though you deserve it. 
He has chosen for you to obtain something other than wrath. What has he chosen for you to obtain? Salvation. Salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can God do that? How can God look at your life, look at your sin, look at your rebellion, and say, that person's not going to experience my wrath. They're going to experience salvation on that day. Well, only through Jesus Christ. Only through Christ who, and look, he says, who died for us. Christ who died for us. See, when Jesus came, he came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He came not to judge the world, but to save the world. You don't need to turn there, but just listen. In the book of Isaiah, Day of the Lord prophecies are all over the Old Testament. And in the book of Isaiah, we have one of them, and and the day of the Lord is both the day of judgment and salvation. And here's what it says. It, it, it's, it's the Messiah speaking, and, and, and the passage says in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Then listen, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. So Isaiah 61 the Lord has anointed his Messiah to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. So, so that is a prophecy predicting that God's Messiah will come in judgment and salvation. The year of favor and the day of vengeance. And so Israel hears these prophecies and they are looking for the day of the Lord. They're looking for the day when God will judge his enemies and save his people. But Jesus comes, and in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what he does. He came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he closed the book and he gave it back and he sat down and he said, This has been fulfilled in your hearing today. What did Jesus leave out? And the day of vengeance of our God. He stopped mid sentence, closed the book. And said, this has been fulfilled. He proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. He did not proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. And what appeared to be one day in the Old Testament, one day of salvation and judgment, when Jesus comes, he says, no, the day of salvation is here through me. Because I am here to take away your sins. I am here to bear the wrath that will come one day so that we can have a year of favor, a day of salvation for all who would trust in me, a, a way of escape. But when that day comes, when that day comes, he will come in judgment. The day of vengeance will arrive. And so the only way of escape, the only way to not experience wrath is through trusting in Christ who came not to judge but to save. 
knowing that one day he will come to judge and then to bring us home. What, what is the essence of our salvation? God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ who died for us. Okay, so, so we're saved from wrath. We're saved from our sins. We're saved from the judgment of that day. Now what? What are we, what are we saved to? He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And look back up at verse 17 of chapter 4. It says, We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Two times, in two paragraphs, Paul drives it to this conclusion, and we will always be with him. We will be with Christ. That is the salvation that God has destined us for. That is the rescue that will take place for us on the day of the Lord who trust in Christ. Our joy is resurrection life with Christ. Whether, whether we die before he comes or he comes while we're alive, what will happen next is we will live with him forever because he died for us. He took the wrath for us. God has destined us not for wrath but for salvation through Jesus Christ. That is our hope. That's the rescue that's coming. And so we get this picture of this day. Remember, the Thessalonians are asking, when is it going to be? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And Paul really says, you don't need to know all that. What you need to know is that it's coming, that it's real, that you need to be ready, and that when he comes, he will rescue you to himself forever. That's the message that he gives them. He, he, he drives their focus to what's most important. But then he has a very surprising conclusion. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And so what is eschatology for? Why, why does God tell us all of this? Yes, to help us in in evangelism, to spur us on toward those who are under God's wrath. Yes, to, to help us live rightly in this world, but, but finally, he gives us these instructions, he gives us these truths for the purpose of edification, for the purpose of encouragement, for the purpose of building each other up. And, and here's the thing. We need each other so badly. We, we desperately need one another if we're going to live until that day comes, if we're, going to, if we're going to keep our hope in that day, if we're going to live as children of light, if we're going to walk out in faithfulness, what Paul is describing here, we need one another. We are so prone to sin. We are so prone to doubt. We are so prone to sleepy lives that we need each other. In a few moments, we're going to have our meal and our Vision Sunday, and we're going to talk a lot about what we're doing this year, home groups, Bible studies, prayer times, and it's very practical. It's, it's, it, we're going to have a calendar, but, but, but I want you to hear this and understand that the purpose of it all is that Jesus is coming again 
to judge the world, to save his people. It could be any day, any time. We will be with him forever. This is real. This is is what sober-mindedness would call us to understand. Therefore, encourage each other and build each other up. Therefore, move toward each other. Therefore, press into each other. Therefore, help each other know how to live. Help each other, call each other out of sin. Call each other toward the lost. Call each other to live as children of light. Call each other to keep your hope in Christ's return. We need each other to do that. And if we're living in light of the day of the Lord, we will do that. We need to remember that he's coming if we're going to move toward each other in love. We need to remember that he's going to come. We, we often think of a truncated gospel that, that, yes, includes a holy God, and it includes sinful man, and it includes Jesus coming and paying for our sins and rising again, and then we stop. And, and we don't go as far as to say, and he's going to return one day. And we will live with him forever. And all those who trust in him will live with him forever. And and we get closer and closer day by day to that day. We need to think of that day every day of our lives. It is our blessed hope. It is the day that everything is moving toward. It It is the linchpin of the gospel. That there is a day coming of salvation and judgment. Without that reality... Nothing else in it makes sense. And so let's remember the day of the Lord. Let's not get caught up on when and how and sequences, but let's get caught up on the reality that it's coming. Let's be ready for it. Let's look forward to the rescue that we will experience, and let's move toward each other in love and in encouragement and in edification as we look forward to that day together. Let's pray, and and we'll close and sing together. Father, we... We come to you this morning, and oh God, I just ask that you would fill each of us with the, the weight of these realities. And God, do that in my heart, do that in our lives as a church. And Father, I pray that we would live as children of light, pray that we would walk as lights toward those who are still in darkness. We pray that you would Help us to to move each other and build each other up toward these things. And Lord, we, we thank you this morning that when we deserved wrath, you destined us for salvation. We thank you that when we deserved separation and destruction, you destined us to live with Christ forever. He is the treasure that we long for. He is the one that we live for. And we offer ourselves in love and thanksgiving to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.